Thanks for listening to the Reforming Classical Education Podcast. I'm your host, Lucas Vieira. Today I am joined by Dr. Josh Herring. Dr. Josh Herring serves as a professor of classical education at Thales College. He spent eight years teaching 6th through 12th grade humanities courses, history, literature, philosophy, and everything else but math and science. He has been a dean of students, an assistant administrator, and a dean of classical education with Thales Academy. In June of 2023, Josh successfully defended his doctoral dissertation and holds a PhD in humanities with a concentration in literature from Faulkner University. Josh's research traced C.S. Lewis's understanding of gender through his fiction and nonfiction, seeing the way we humans respond to our bodies as part of our training in gratitude. Josh loves classical education and is excited to build a teacher training program grounded in the wisdom of the great tradition. Josh, it's great to have you on the show today. Oh, thanks so much, Lucas. I, I'm really, I've really been looking forward to this conversation. Me too, me too. So I would love to you know, hear from you how you got involved in the classical education movement. What, what were the beginnings like for you getting into all this? Oh, man. Uh, part of that really goes back to my own early education. I was homeschooled uh, okay. up through ninth grade. Uh, my mom and dad were sort of early 90s. They they were we lived in Tennessee at the time and sure. uh, they decided to homeschool me and my two younger brothers. Um, by the time I was hitting high school, we were sort of hitting the limits of what my mom felt comfortable she mm-hmm. could set up. Okay. And uh, I went over to I ended up going to uh, Stonebridge School. Uh, as a classical Christian school sure, in Chesapeake, sure. and they practiced a, a kind of a maybe called a variation called the principal approach, but okay. uh, it was one of the earlier classical programs. Uh, I did my in three years there. I did an undergrad at Hillsdale College and uh, got out of Hillsdale uh, thoroughly trained in the liberal arts and didn't quite realize that the training I got there was also a phenomenal preparation to go into classical education. Um, it's, I think it's hard for folks who know about Hillsdale and their, their work in classical ed today to think about this, but 15 years ago, Hillsdale was not, or even 12 years ago, Hillsdale didn't even really use the language of classical education Mm, as much as liberal education. And, so I, but uh, I took a job teaching at Thales Academy to pay the bills. Uh, I was going through seminary. My wife was finishing a, a, okay. a graduate degree, and uh, that was that was twelve years ago. So I've, I've kind of been going, uh, sort of following different opportunities, but uh, have really found a home in classical education. Sure. So that, that, that's great. Thank you for that. So tell me, um, you know, the the kind of why behind why did you why have you kind of stuck with the movement, stuck with teaching? What grabbed you about classical ed? Uh, For me, it's really all about the great books. It's Mm. the literature. It's the primary source-driven history approach. It's the leaning on the uh, philosophers of the tradition to have, uh, in one sense, the same conversation with my students that Socrates had in the Agora or in Mm. the Gymnasia. Sure, sure. we, we can talk about those things. Uh, I think really I, I find um, getting into those texts, I personally just find really nourishing uh, and uh, being part of an educational movement that is really all about keeping that conversation going is something I find really exciting. Um, and then as time has gone on, I, I'm, I'm my work is more now with teachers and helping them kind of see 
what the contours of those conversations look like, what the what are the sources that they ought to uh, be looking to, and how do we grow a classical education movement hmm. in such a way that it's it's very fresh and relevant for our students today, sure, but it's sure. all and reach into the wisdom of the ages yeah all of that i just find really exciting and that's great that's not even mentioning all the students and the relationships that also really drive that for sure Uh, for sure every every year it's i was telling a friend uh just last week it's very dangerous to start working around a school (laughs) that's right you're gonna sort of fall in love with the youngest group of students that's there but the problem is every year there's a new crop that's right that's right it's really hard to get out (laughs) (laughs) yes that's absolutely true um, well, you know, I think a lot of people probably resonate with that. And um, we, as we both know, the classical education movement has been growing and growing and growing. Um, now, why do you think in the last few years it has grown so much? What, what's, what's kind of motivating that? What's behind that? Um, I'd love for your kind of take on all that. Uh, sure. I mean, I, I guess I've got probably... Maybe three thoughts on that. Yeah, I mean, sure. the first is what I've heard from a lot of other folks kind of in the movement. I mean, there's a clear there's a clear boost that I think everybody saw with COVID. Mm-hmm. I mean, because uh, that was such a, a really a watershed moment where parents were literally watching just how empty the kind of education hmm. their kids were getting was. That's right. That's right. And, and that's that's not to say that there aren't great teachers in public ed. I have several friends who are those teachers, sure. but around the country i think thousands of parents just witnessed there's just something so empty in this and they want more for their kids that's the natural desire of parents to want their children to feast on rich ideas hmm. and they, they started turning and i think a lot of parents don't even really know quite what they're looking for they don't really know what classical education is they don't they didn't get this themselves they just know that they want something better for their kids yeah. so that's that's one Hmm. Um, I think there's certainly a, um, there's also sort of a, um, I think this is the Malcolm Gladwell term, uh, like a, the idea of a tipping point. And hmm. uh, sure. there's been, um, we're at the cusp now of somewhere between 50 or 60 years of classical educators in the United States, just faithfully sowing seeds, working, um, studying, asking questions, writing resources, refining, uh, building schools, building networks, designing conferences, uh, that now we're seeing the fruits of all that labor. Mm. So I think um, you and I are, I, I, I'm 35, so I, I think we're probably somewhere close to the same generation. Sure. If yes. Anyone. They're like, we're, we're coming into this with like, there's so much that we're, we're standing on the shoulders of the last two, three, four generations right. of yeah. classical educators. Yeah. Uh, so I think a lot of folks have been, they've been looking and praying that this would kind of spark and, and grow. And uh, now even then, I don't want to overstate that growth because still in comparison to mainstream education, it's still so small, but sure, sure, it, sure. it's a sizable movement. Um, the third thing I would point to, um, and, and you may have more insight on this being out in California than I do, but um, I, I think the... It, the amount of bad ideas that are now being recently hmm. put into um, school yeah. curriculum standards is just inescapable. Sure. Um, I've paid close attention in recent years to uh, Oregon's new math standards, California's new ethnic studies framework, mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. Uh, they had like three places they managed to work transgender policies into their yeah. curriculum. And 
I, now I, I, I fully recognize there is a tiny, tiny minority of parents who are interested in those kinds of things. Sure. But I think the vast majority of parents at the most charitable are looking at that and thinking, I do not want my kid in this. So again, parents are looking for something else. So it's on the one hand, we've got a movement that is based in orienting students towards what is good, what is true, and what is beautiful. That's right. And that is standing on what is tried and true, what's tested and what's known. It's not innovative in its curriculum. It's maybe innovative in approach and and how we access that curriculum, but the curriculum's pretty, pretty standard. And the but the the opposite, the mainstream approach is just so empty and it's filled with garbage that is mm. corrosive. So parents who what's good for their kids, they're looking for other stuff. And now there are so many options out there. And so I think that's that that's where I see that there, those are at least three areas I see for lots of growth. Yeah. I reasons think, I think, why. Yeah. That's a that's very helpful framework using using those kind of three lenses there. Um, so, Josh, tell me, where, where do you think where do you think the classical ed movement is heading where do you think we're going? Or maybe where do you hope it heads? Maybe those are two different questions, um, but I'd, I'd love for your insight um, on that. I've, I've been a debate coach for 10 years, and I always okay. tell my students <laughs> to be on the lookout when people just uh, blatantly claim to predict the future. Like, sure. You should always be ready. That's right. Like, nope, you can't tell me exactly what's going to happen. So I want to be That's careful right. yeah. not to do that. But certainly sure. where I hope it will go, I mean, I, I would <laughs> – I, I would love to wake up 10 years from now and discover that uh, classical education is the educational arm of a nationwide revival of hmm. Christianity throughout yes. America. Yes. And that just, I mean, it's, it's, there have been movements in world history before in American history where uh, we just seem to be moving away from truth and away from the gospel. And then That's God right. does something unexpected. And, yeah. Yeah. Uh, I think of the 18th century missionary movement or mm. some of the uh, the more sane parts of the Second Great Awakening or even the First Great Awakening. Uh, so I'd love to see. I mean, I would um, I, I, I work for a, a guy named Bob Luddy who has an incredible vision. Uh, he, he said this at a meeting last year, so I'm pretty sure I can say this publicly, <laughs> but uh, he would love for Thales Academy to replace public education in the state of North sure, Carolina. Sure. Wow. Yeah. I mean, just like that's <laughs> that's what I would love to see happen. I mean, if we're that's just right. if we're dreaming big, I was like, because there there really is no reason why we couldn't take what we know works on the scale that we know works and be able to do that nationwide. Hmm. Uh, we, we don't have to keep seeing. Um, for a class I'm teaching, I'm currently reading Norms and Nobility by David Hicks. And sure. he's out in uh, 1980, he was talking about declining math and reading scores hmm. nationwide. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> We've been talking about this for 43 years. Yeah. Like, yeah. this is nothing new. And the, the answers are there. So hmm. I don't think there's any reason why we shouldn't just be like, all right, let's just chuck all the progressive education stuff and go with classical education as our mainstream American education yeah. Paradigm. Yeah. Well, that probably won't happen because it probably just won't. But it would be great <laughs> if it did. Sure. Sure. I resonate with that. Yes and amen. Well, you know, let's let's kind of dive in here and let's let's turn. I'd love for us to discuss this this connection between Christian theology and right teaching. So, you know, we're passionate about that here at the Beza Institute. Um, but I'd love for your insight here. What 
what is the connection there? Um, is, is theology just kind of something we add on? Or um, I'd, I'd love for you to speak to that. Christian theology and teaching, how do they go together? Yeah. Um, so I'll, I'll speak to that kind of in two ways with the caveat that my entire teaching career has been in a uh, Christian-friendly school that is sure. not itself denominationally aligned. And where we're, we're, Thales has always been the... Uh, largest market share possible arm of the uh, Luddy schools empire. Sure, so sure. Uh, we have a lot of families from a lot of religious backgrounds, but um, on a personal level, I've certainly found that it grounds my teaching. Um, I'm a reformed leaning Southern Baptist and mm-hmm. uh, I look at my theology rooted in scripture helps me see all of my students made in the divine image. Mm. Yeah. And it gives me sort of a, my classroom uh, is always sort of a proto-evangelistic space in the sense that not that I'm proselytizing, because I can't sure. really do that and be a good teacher. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I have to be a good teacher first, but inside the framework of being an excellent teacher, a classical curriculum has all the pieces to be able to just point students to the need uh, or to to questions that ultimately only have their answer in the God of the Bible. Hmm. And yeah, yeah. So uh, logic, philosophy, history all lean that direction. Um, so uh, on a broader level, uh, I think Dorothy Sayers speaks to this in her essay, Lost Tools of Learning. Um, theology functions as sort of the, um, she calls it the keystone of the arch of the curriculum. Hmm. And where theology is ultimately going to be your highest discipline. And this is this is why in the Middle Ages they referred to theology as the queen of the sciences, because uh, f- philosophy, and there, there's a variety of different woodcuts that uh, one of my favorites is from the 1500s. It shows the seven liberal arts kind of at mm. the bottom in various circles. Sure. Uh, but then there's the central center circle that is, uh, it's Plato and Aristotle. They look like they're playing chess next to mm. each other. <laughs> but then on top of Plato and Aristotle is Queen Theology. Uh, okay. And that's, that's great. That's the way the medieval saw that because philosophy ultimately is not really a determinative discipline. Hmm. Philosophy done right might lead you to a set of conclusions, but it might lead your friend to an equally rigorously determined opposite set sure, of conclusions. Sure. Uh, philosophy, I think, depends on the it depends on divine revelation to ultimately reach certainty. Hmm. And that's where um, that's where theology comes in. So to bring this back to classical Christian education, I think uh, that's one of the places where I think classical Christian education has a level of certainty that hmm. secular classical education can't get to. Sure. sure. Uh, yeah, it's it's one of the places that have been several times over the years where I'll have students uh, they they see the questions. Well, what is the good, Mr. Herring? Well, I'm like, well, <laughs> I, I can tell you what it's not. I can be kind of apophatic in my sure, my sure. answers, but uh, ultimately, answering that question is going to lead them right to where it led Plato to see that the good has to be one, and the good mm-hmm. is the highest thing. That should lead us to Aquinas, who says that's what all men call God. Yeah, but that's as far as we can get without having a direct doctrinal claim that sees that in the logos to his Christ. So sure. I think it's, if, if you've got the ability to kind of land in that certainty, I think it's a beautiful thing. Hmm. Uh, I think there's a, it does also the theological angle. Uh, it gives 
to one degree, I mean, it gives so much more certainty on area in areas of cultural confusion. Sure. Uh, sure. Yeah. School has a much clearer grounding to say why uh, two guys can't go to the prom together. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. That's right. Uh, and at killer school, we might just say, nope, can't do that. Please don't ask us why. We really don't want to have to explain why. Sure. Uh, but there's, 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 I think a, in a, so all that to say, that's, that's really how I see that relation. Um, it also gives you, uh, on the one hand, I think a, you can get, it, it affects your faculty in really interesting ways. Cause mm. you get, if you have a confessional school that is yeah. really serious about its doctrine, sure. in that case, you have aligned faculty that are to varying degrees are all believing the same ultimate things. Mm-hmm. A school that doesn't have that, you tend to have a lot more, um, not even necessarily in a good or a bad way, just it just is. You have a lot more intellectual diversity and you tend, my experience has been that you tend not to easily talk about ultimate things as a faculty. Sure. Hmm. Because okay. that's going to lead to open division because we yeah. don't all agree. Just sure. It changes the nature of the school. Yeah, that's that's helpful. So those kind of, those those two different ways of looking at it, I, I think, are absolutely helpful there. Um, well, you know, you you told us earlier that you spend your time now training teachers. Um, so I, I'm curious, how might that training that you do differ from kind of standard non-classical teacher training? Uh, it's a, I think a lot of people are wondering. Um, you know, maybe they've been trained in kind of your normal standard teacher training programs and they're moving over to classical and they're realizing I need something different. Um, so yeah. what, what do you do that's different than what we might find in a normal kind of school that trains teachers? No, it's a great question. Um, so Thales College is a pretty new college over here in North Carolina. Uh, and I'll tell you about two different programs we have for that. One's for right. undergrads. So uh, I don't know if any uh, any students are listening, but if so, uh, if you want to come out to North Carolina and become a, a great classical teacher in a few years, uh, definitely uh, let, let me know. <laughs> um, but we've also got a, a we have an online program that's for working teachers and administrators as well. OK, um, so let's back up just a bit. The uh, the idea of a teacher pro- training program is not particularly innovative. <laughs> um, that's those have been around for well over 100 years uh, and. I think there are a couple of beneficial things that teachers can get through those sorts of programs. Um, Teachers I've met who've gone through licensure programs uh, typically are really, really good on classroom management. They're very structured. They step into the classroom having already thought about procedures and habits they want to cultivate. And they've had practice doing some communication things like Mm. emails and and they know what they know how standards and assessments and lessons work. And they have some exposure to different theories of how children develop over time. Those things I find all to be very beneficial. The problem is for most teachers, um, that's maybe optimistically, let's call it 20% of their training in a typical sure. teacher program. Sure. The other 80% is made up of different pedagogical theories and training in educational bureaucracy that really is, um, in a best case scenario, I would say it's useless in the classroom. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, teachers who come, and we've, we've hired teachers straight out of education programs, um, they, they usually are weak on their content knowledge, so they're having to pick that up. 
And yeah. they're also having to deal with real children who are quite different than the mainstream <laughs> educational theories taught them to think about. That's right. Uh, yeah. And we can go into more detail on that if you want, but that's that's we're trying to kind of do something a bit different where um, we want to keep the pieces that are really helpful for an education degree, but we also want to change kind of the whole orientation. Hmm. So um, the, the way the program is structured, you've got a series of uh, our students are doing a liberal arts major during their uh, primarily in their first year. But then in their second and third years at Thales College, they're completing their professional majors. So if they're doing a classical education major, uh, they're finishing up the liberal arts major while also taking uh, the first class is called Theories of Classical Learning. Uh, the second one is um, Classical Anthropology. And then we get to Classical Pedagogy. And in those three classes, we're sort of building a uniquely classical approach to the task of education which we think actually starts with rightly understanding the human person. Hmm. Uh, human beings exist as body and soul, and they develop over time. And one of the most significant tasks a teacher needs to keep in mind is that the teacher is training the student in the in the moral imagination. Hmm. So we're, we're sure. not just data dumping. Uh, we're, in fact, training students to be able to see uh, the moral nature of their choices and then... Uh, we want to walk them through different pieces of the curriculum that are going to equip them with wisdom to, be able to make good choices. Now, at the same time, we're going to, in classical pedagogy, we're going to hit a lot of things that look like a pedagogy course. We're going to talk about, uh, we're going to talk about what's the right balance between lecture and coaching and seminar and projects. How do you design a project? What's a good project? What's a bad project? Yeah. Uh, a lot of those are similar, but they come at it from a very different spirit. Uh, right now I'm teaching a class called uh, Classroom Culture and Direct Instruction, hmm. where we're focusing specifically on classroom management. And there's a lot of pieces that look very similar. We're using Harry Wong's classroom management book and sure. the first days of school uh, and the uh, Teach Like a Champion 3.0. Um, and those are the best books that I know of today for hmm. just giving yeah. you what are the teacher craft techniques that you should know. Uh, but they also, we again, we want to come at that with this real understanding that, okay, you're never just, the, the child is never just an empty vessel. Like you've got to, and that the child doesn't exist in isolation from mom and dad and siblings and a surrounding world. And that the curriculum is really significant. Um, so that's that's really what we're trying to do with the, the undergrad program. Um, I should also mention that, uh, so because Thales College, has a really close relationship with Thales Academy, uh, we're able to put our students in four to six semesters of student teaching mm, over that's great. That's great. degree. Yeah. So they come out with tons of experience. I'm thinking mm. right of one student, Lucy, she's uh, doing her student teaching in a fifth grade classroom okay. this semester. And she moved up from second grade and she can, so many of the things that we were talking last week about fire drills and tornado drills and uh, code 300 or uh, active shooter drills. And she's had to participate in those at the Academy and she can go from the classroom to practice very, very easily. Hmm. Um, so our goal is to prepare teachers to step into the classical classroom, be able to execute a curriculum uh, and, and really have worked out a lot of those things that every, Every first year teacher figures out on the fly. You can figure those out during your training, during your program. You don't have to. We, we've just been working on 
Canvas and how to write yeah, a quiz sure, on Canvas. Sure. <laughs> you don't have to be a first year teacher doing that, but uh, so much of that is also worked out in in practice. Mm. Um, I'll also mention real quick the um, we're also trying to equip teachers on the other side too, because as you mentioned earlier, there's there's a lot of teachers who make that jump from teaching in public education to go into yeah. a classical, whether it's a charter or a Christian classical or secular classical or independent school, kind of a classical feel. Um, so we just opened this up. It's on the Thales College website on the uh, under the classical education page. It's called a Certificate in Classical Education Philosophy. Um, our, our it's our it's our thought that uh, really. There's a lot of people in classical schools who have a really strong operational knowledge. They know how to run carpool, do the lunchroom. They can do the disciplinary stuff. Sure. You ask them to articulate the school's mission and explain classical mm -hmm. education, explain what exactly makes your math class classical. Uh, typically, these are these are when folks are like, mm, I just don't know what to say. Yeah, yeah. Um, so we, designed, we designed an eight course sequence that each course lasts nine weeks. So we can theoretically do four or eight of those within a year, if we ever get all the way up to offering all of them within a year. Um, but where each course uh, participants read two to four books and then meet in a Google meet seminar uh, to discuss those. And hmm. we're really uh, through dialogue, we're practicing the arts of seminar and we're getting familiar with the major names and ideas of classical education. Uh, so that's, that's another piece that Thales College is trying to help equip the movement with. We, we need right. more people don't just know what we do, but also know why we do what we do, hmm, what makes that's it. Right. That's excellent. Could you, that's, that's fantastic. Could you speak to, you know, for, let's say for those teachers on the other end, those maybe those teachers who have the content knowledge, you know, maybe, you know, they've gone through great books programs or whatever it might be. Um, but then they don't have the nuts and bolts that you've described, um, you know, for the in the classroom type actions. How would you encourage those people as they're in there? Let's say they're in their first few years of teaching and they, they have the content, but they don't have the, maybe the tools. Uh, how would you yeah. encourage them? Um, so I would, to that kind of teacher, I would just say, um, for starters, um, drink deep of humility hmm. because um, yeah. I, I was that teacher. I mean, I, I came out of sure. uh, one of the best liberal arts programs in the country, but um, there were teachers who did not understand the the moral philosophy of classical ed, but they were so much better than I was at classroom management. Mm, yeah. Uh, so I, that's where I would start. I would just say, okay, if you are the, if you're in your first, first, second, or maybe even third year on a faculty team, uh, you want to basically, I, I would say, keep your head down, learn a lot from your department chair, from your administration. If you have a grade level chair, from your grade level chair, uh, if your school doesn't give you one, sort of attach yourself to a teacher mentor yeah, yeah. Uh, somebody that you can go to and say hey this happened in my classroom today i don't know what to do hmm. uh find that person who will read the email for you before you send it off that's right uh, yeah <laughs> spare you so many hours of unnecessary angst um but I would just say, like, uh, in my experience, we tend to find I, I find teachers come to us with one of two skill sets. It's very rare to have both. Sure. You've either sure. got the educational degree prep route and those people need the content knowledge or you did a content heavy major in college and you need, you're going to spend the content major 
the content heavy teacher is going to spend the first couple of years learning classroom management, learning school policies, learning procedures, and honestly, learning how to develop a personality that connects with students because hmm, that yep, goes yep. so far. And it's not really something, some people have it, some people don't, but if you last in education, to last in education, you eventually have to kind of figure that piece out. That's right. Yeah. And so the, I think really the, the most important thing I would say to that teacher is uh, look at the experienced veterans on your faculty team and if your school is, because there's there are also schools that don't have those. Uh, if your school does not have those, you need to find teacher veterans at another school. Hmm. In that case, I would say I would care a lot less about the philosophical alignment, and I would care a lot about just finding somebody that maybe we can get coffee on Saturday morning and we can just sure. talk for an hour, and I can pick your brain about how you set up your classroom. Then I can go back and figure out that oh. Doing pods with sixth graders is a terrible idea. <laughs> That's, <laughs> Those right. <kind> of <laughs> That's right. That's excellent. I love that. That kind of an encouragement towards apprenticeship. Um, that that's that's great. Well, um, I think teaching yeah. really is a teaching is something. I had a boss one year who told me like she could she could tell within an interview within about five minutes if somebody had it mm -hmm. as far as just knack for teaching. Sure. And, and I think a lot of us have that, but then we need to spend, we spend years honing our craft that's and right. that's, that's right. That's a matter of leaning on our teams. Yeah, that's it. That's exactly it. Well, Josh, as we kind of wrap things up here, it's been, it's been a great conversation. Um, you know, if let's say you have a new, a new classical, a new teacher to the classical movement, um, what might be a book or two? Cause I know I see all the books behind you on the zoom call. Um, I know you <laughs> love books. Um, what might be a book or two, one or two, that you would recommend to those classical teachers who are starting out and, and getting their hands dirty in this movement? Um, uh, well, I, I'll, I'll recommend the two that I've been reading most recently. Yeah. Um, the first of those is C.S. Lewis's book, The Abolition of Man. Hmm. Uh, that's a it's a great read uh, for really anybody if you've never read it, but especially as a teacher, um, Lewis does a phenomenal job of taking. Um, taking the Platonic and Aristotelian understanding of teaching and just bringing that right up to the present day. Mm. Uh, my favorite part of this, there's two lines I love in this book. He quotes Aristotle talking about the, uh, the purpose of teaching is to cause students to love what is worthy of love and to hate what is worthy of hate. Mm. But then he restates the same idea later on. He talks about teaching is only old birds teaching young birds to fly. Yeah. And it's just a great, it's, it's awesome. a great metaphor and a great reminder of what, what this is all about. Um, but Lewis, of course, was not himself a practitioner in terms of the actual K-12 teaching. And that shows uh, because Abolition hmm. of Man is Lewis writing a trilogy of wannabe philosophy lectures. And it's, it's a stretch for the brain in that sense. Um, if you're looking for something that's much more hands-on, um, I'll actually mention two, uh, that both of which were from folks who were like, did actually interact with real live children. <laughs> that, that's my criteria. Of, uh, one of yeah, my criteria, that's right. get an education book, uh, David Hicks, norms and nobility is fabulous. It's uh, in my view, it's still pretty unmatched as far as, uh, somebody who was in the classroom and then moved into administration and tried to write a book about, what exactly are we trying to do in classical education? Uh, and his he lays out this vision of education that is thoroughly normative 
in the sense that uh, we education should be ident should identify the goals that we want students to embody. And then we're working backwards to figure out how do we craft those norms? And that's something that each school is sort of working at, at doing. Hmm. A uh, One other one that comes to mind, uh, it's just, it's timeless for classical ed is Mortimer Adler's book, The uh, the Paideia Proposal. I love that one because it it's uh, it's it's the most practical uh, for, for lesson planning. Sure, uh, sure. He has a... His whole book is uh, is on display in like a one page chart. So if you're in a hurry, just read the chart. <laughs> uh, but he divides pedagogy into three different uh, levels. There's didactic teaching, there's academic coaching, and there's seminar. Where didactic teaching he thinks should be between ten to twenty percent of the middle school or high school classroom. And very few people in Adler's view are actually really good at lecture. Hmm. Uh, most of us rely too heavily on lecture and we're not actually very good at it. He thinks mm. that a good lecture is upbeat, it's dynamic, and it takes as much energy as somebody who's going to do a professional TED Talk. Sure, sure. <laughs> and most of us just slap some slides together and then talk at our kids and <laughs> it's not very engaging. Yeah. Uh, Adler thinks that uh, coach, academic coaching is actually far better for, mm. for kids set up the way for students to encounter knowledge and teach it to themselves, letting you float from group to group to do one-on-one -on -one feedback. Um, but then the heart of his program actually happens in seminar because it's in seminar where the values and ideas of a normative education really come out. Didactic is for information that's neatly arranged. Coaching is for the acquisition of skills, but it's in seminar that we cooperatively figure out what the main ideas are and then wrestle with their truth hmm. or, or not lack thereof. So I think all of those are, are great books. I, I love them all and uh, love, love recommending them to people. Excellent. Excellent. Well, Josh, thank you for your time. I really enjoy this conversation. I've gleaned much from it. Um, so blessings, brother. Thank you. Well, thank you so much for the invitation, Lucas. Thanks for listening to the Reforming Classical Education podcast from the Beza Institute. The Beza Institute for Reformed Classical Education seeks to promote classical Christian education from a distinctly reformed perspective for the glory of God and the good of his kingdom. To learn more about what we do, visit our website at bezainstitute.org.